Hello and welcome to episode 217 of What Most People Think. And before we get into anything this week, I just want to thank so much to the people buying the book, The British Bloke Decoded. I have been number one in the jokes and riddles charts. I've also been number one in the essays, journals and letters charts, but also did actually get up at one point to know in the, in the top 60 of all books on Amazons, which Amazon, the old Amazons, all books on the old Amazons. Um, do you remember that when your mum and dad would just like pluralise things that didn't really need pluralising? Like, I remember John Major was quite widely referred to as John Majors. Well, the thing you're John Majors, right? You're John Majors. You go, are you getting confused with Lee Majors? But anyway, listen, thanks for buying the book, man. I um, it's It's been just been a pleasure for people to fucking read it. And thank you so much for the people uh, leaving reviews. And let's do, let's shout out some of the people that left reviews on Amazon. Like if you leave five-star reviews on Amazon, let's shout out those people. I won't be able to read the whole reviews, but let's shout out those people um, by name. Okay, so people leaving Amazon reviews. These are written reviews, which I can see. We've got Jeffrey, but it's spelled with a J, so... Bit of a dodgy guy, but I appreciate it. We've got Draven or Draven, Ginge Girl 66, PM, GG Wright, Jim, Amazon Customer. I mean, that, that, that doesn't sound dodgy at all, doesn't it? Sounds like, I, sounds like I had enough money to create a bot army of one and, and Nick. So, yeah, basically, anybody leaving five star reviews, written five star reviews, I will shout you out of the podcast uh, for the next few weeks. Um, why did I do that with my voice there? Basically, I was flipping from one screen back to the other and trying to cover it with a bit of intonation, as people do. Um, it's been mental times. As you can hear, my voice doesn't sound like it normally does uh, because the tour started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the book uh, was launched last week. I've been writing on another series of A League of Their Own, and all of which is why my voice sounds like Phil Mitchell at the moment. Don't don't be stupid, Ricky. Ricky, don't be... Ricky, don't be stupid. Um <laughs> So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, t- but you know, I'm not going to moan because the thing about, if you moan about being tired or ill, first thing is no one ever gives a fuck, right? No one ever gives a fuck being tired, tired or ill because everyone thinks they're more tired and more ill than you are. So I'm not going to vote for, um, moan about it for that reason. But also I do believe that the comedy gods, they listen in and they will smite thee if they go, oh, too tired, are we? Too much work. You could always have fuck all. <laughs> Lightning crack. And then suddenly I'm back doing supply teaching. Uh, but this is what most people think. And um, I am a comic that's coming at things, you know, not wildly different. I'm not edgy. I mean, my, Jesus Christ, my tour is called Basic Bloke. I'm trying to acknowledge where possible that I am roughly in the middle lane of a lot of things. Um, but that does put me in a slightly different to most of the comedy community. So that's the angle that we come at subjects from. And there's two main subjects this week, really. First of which, politically, because we usually start with a political story, is uh, Keir Starmer and his big boy play. He's out there, isn't he? Oh, Keir Starmer, he's on manoeuvres. I'm out in Europe. Look at me. Look at me. Making all the big leaders. Uh, but he's been actually, he's actually taken a position on EU migration. He's actually laid out what he plans to do. 
And he grew a tiny little pair of Tic Tac balls, just the beginnings of balls. You know, they, I, I think they could, you know, they're, they're barely visible, but they're, they're starting to be there. He's climbed down off that fence on a subject. And I think it's interesting. And, and my take on that might not be exactly what you think. And then, of course, as you might expect, you know, being a comedian uh, this week of all weeks, talking about the Dispatches documentary and the allegations about Russell Brand, a sort of general overview of what's going on. And, and listen, I know that there will be people that listen to this podcast that will be, you know, sort of Russell, that you'll like Russell Brand, you'll have followed uh, his output over a while and you'll be, you know, some of you will be cautious about the allegations and stuff. But I hope you'll hear me out in terms of what I've got to say on this subject because there's a general point here and I want to consider this is that whether or not comedy uh, has a specific issue with creeps, okay? I think, I think that there's reasons that that might actually be a fair accusation Against our industry. Okay, new patrons. We've got VIP, Andrew Doughty. Doughty? Doughty? D-A-U. I should probably shouldn't spell your surname here, but D- Andrew Doughty. Andrew Doughty getting naughty on the floor. <laughs> it just sounds like a great thing for a 90s garage MC to rap about, doesn't it? Andrew Naughty getting dirty with your front door key. Okay, that's it. That's as much as I've got in the tank there. Welcome to the VIP enclosure. Mr. Daughter, you can go and stand next to MC Luck and DJ Neat. <laughs> My brain's losing me. Uh, Nigel Foster, We've got other patrons. Nigel Foster, I think, is a returning patron. So obviously, I saw your name come up several times in my email. So I'd like to thank you for your perseverance in trying to pay Patreon. It does seem that they're quite resistant uh, to being paid at times. We've just got Paul. There's not much I can do with uh, a single namer, Paul. Uh, Peter Smithson. Again, I think a Patreon must be booting people out left, right and centre. Peter's been a... Peter's been a patron for a long time, but I do believe the next two people are uh, new patrons. So we've got Emma J. Emma J. You just sound like you're in a girl band, don't you? Like Saturdays. Emma J. Emma J would literally be the one that couldn't sing or dance, but just looked looked really hot. Emma J. Emma J was seen out with Jimmy from 911. Um, you'd be that girl. You know, really cute girl. Not a great, not a dancer or a singer, but uh, but uh, brilliant eye candy. Uh, Al Shep. Al Shep, although it does look the way it's written here, like AI Shep. Have I got my first AI Patreon? Jesus Christ. Is it, how deep will this stuff get? Uh, being a patron, just a reminder of the benefits. If you want to be a patron, go to Patreon. Uh, just type in my name or the name of the podcast. And you, there's loads of benefits. Like, for example, you get a full version of my last special, I Blame the Parents. Uh, there is a sh- much shorter version on YouTube of just over 30 minutes. We're talking the 80-minute version, blood. And obviously somebody, somebody's been watching Top Boy, haven't they? <laughs> blood. Say less, bruv. Um, so the 80 minute version if you're a VIP you'll get guaranteed inclusion of your questions in the monthly Patreon only podcast and then you know if I get free t- free tickets available for a TV record sometimes I'll punt those out there so there's all sorts of stuff coming and there will be an improved Patreon offer but it takes time with these things and I, t- I promise you the moment I have news things are going to get better one way or another I am going to improve the Patreon offer it's just a question of how that's going to happen so do stick around I mean that does sound like bollocks does it it's definitely going to get better in the future I mean, I sound like a fucking politician, don't I? Oh, the things will be better in the future. Just, I promise. Just, just. St- I, st- I sound like the Tories, don't I? So we have a super patron as well, David Domain. I'm a bit worried last week. I hadn't heard from David, but he has been back in touch, and he's good. Uh, he says, um, following the death of Mike Yarwood, he said one factoid you may wish to mention, since it's now topical, is Mike Yarwood's 1977 Christmas special holds the record for the largest audience of a British light entertainment telly show ever. Wow. 21.4 million viewers. 
That narrowly beat Morecambe and Wise's Christmas, that, uh, Christmas special that year, which followed immediately after in the schedules. In context, the population of the UK then was 56.19, therefore 38% of the population. I mean, I mean, yeah, there was no one sneaking off to watch a box set on their fucking iPad, was there? You know, there was no one like walking around with an earbud in, like everyone just consuming different media. I mean, look, let's not pretend that there wasn't bad stuff that went with that. You know, you just got what you were given. It was a bit like dinner in the 70s and 80s, wasn't it? You get what you're given. You know, then back then, if you'd have gone, but I'm gluten intolerant, I'm a vegan, you get what you're given. And maybe television was a bit... <laughs> there were no televisual vegans uh, in the 70s and, and 80s. And it's so interesting when you say 21.4 million. What would count as a good audience for a comedy show now? Anything above 800,000, you know, in terms of when it goes out, would, would be pretty healthy numbers. So um, things have changed a lot. It's a lot harder to be famous. I mean, that is something that has been me and Finn touched upon. But um, fuck knows who the household names of the future are going to be. Um, David also says that he's happy to report that his book arrived a couple of days ago and he's going to bring it along on Friday for me to sign. Yeah, if you've got, I will be signing books, whether I'm selling them or not, after every single tour show, if you give me a minute, I'll be out of the back and I'll be signing books for people because I'm so grateful to people uh, signing the books. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sign them, I'll fucking, I'll lick them. Do you know what I mean? You can have... <laughs> It's getting a bit like OnlyFans now. Um, now, David also mentions in terms of the latest podcast, a fun fact, the EU flag, so we were talking about the EU flags being rave, waved at the proms. The EU flag isn't really the EU flag at all. It's actually the flag for the Council of Europe. It was decided in the mid-1980s by the European community, now the EU, to co-opt it. Yeah, because, I mean, that is the history of the EU, isn't it? It was one thing. Oh, little shapeshift. Should we run it by anybody? Nah. Um, the Council of Europe is not connected to the EU. It was an organisation founded in 1949 to promote human rights, democracy and the rule of law across the continent in the wake of World War II. It is not to be confused with the European Council. The European... Um, this is one of the problems. This is why we had to leave. I mean, it's just so fucking confusing. Okay, as ever, the weekly thank you and the fuck you. It's meeting the book buyers, people after the show's who are buying the books and I'm signing them. I just, I don't get to meet that many people who come to the shows and it's been really cool finding out the wide range of people, people who've been supporting me since a lot further back than I realised and um, and also like a, a surprisingly diverse mix. Because online, like I get these fucking trolls on social media that go, oh, well, you've been performing to your Brexit knuckle draggers again. And if you are a left-wing person that comes to see me, you know, if you're a left-wing lesbian, there's quite a lot of left-wing lesbians that come to see me. I know it, it might sound unlikely, but it's true. Um, an increasing number of people come in with their kids, which I think is really cool. A lot of where mum and dad are coming out with their, their kids who are like 18 to 21. And I reckon I'm the compromise comic where they go, okay, we can meet in the middle on this guy. There might be some comics where they go, oh, that guy, you know, oh, that guy, he's far too left-wing, he pisses me off. And then their parents might suggest another guy and they'll go, oh, he's a sex offender. And the, <laughs> should I be making jokes about that this week? I don't know. But um, but then they go, oh, this guy? And they go, well, he was on the MASH report. We both sort of like the MASH report and, oh, fuck it, yeah. I reckon I'm the compromise comic. So I'm, I'm not taking loads of ego from it. I reckon I'm the one that we go... The, the, I'm, I'm the one that maybe caused the least arguments intergenerationally. Uh, the fuck you is tiredness. So as some of you will have seen, I did Sunday brunch on a... Well, Sunday. I mean, that's what tiredness does. It, it makes you think that you have to clarify what day of the week Sunday brunch is on. And um, I was sat next to Denise Van Outen, bit of a legend. Such a nice lady, by the way. You know, you meet people in entertainment and you just realise that like it's not just about what people are on screen she's just a positive calm supportive 
person, just a really nice person. And Duncan from Blue, and I was um, I was in the um, the makeup seat next to Duncan beforehand, and just obviously, if you're feeling tired and like you don't look your best, you don't necessarily want to sit next to Duncan from Blue. And uh, the girl was sort of like, you know, she did sort of sorted out my hair a little bit. She's like, "That all right?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's fine." But Duncan was a pro, man. He was like, "Give me the blow dryer," and he <laughs> he knew how to do his own hair. And I was sort of thinking, "Oh, is that a bit much?" But then he was. I looked at his hair afterwards and was like, "He was absolutely right to do that." His hair. Looks amazing. It's like, oh my God, the food. I can't explain to you how weird it is to be on camera when you're eating some of the best food you've ever seen, you've ever eaten. Simon Ribbon did this um, did this dish that was like custard and ginger and apple. And my God, I hope that they didn't get my facial expressions on camera too much because you will have seen, you will have seen my sex face. Okay, what an awful image for everybody. Let's uh, leave that behind as quickly as we can and get into a bit of politics. All right, so Keir Starmer, he's he's been all about Europe this week. You know, because it was that kind of dry period for political news. And Starmer, fair play to him, he's very uh, proactive at the moment. He decided that the best thing he could do with his time was to be seen to be like a statesman, like a prime minister uh, in waiting, because he's not obsessed with being prime minister. This isn't about him. It's not about me becoming prime minister, but I'm just going to act like one all the fucking time. He desperately wants it. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but don't act coy here. You love all this stuff. So he was all around Europe, uh, dealing with the EU, talking to Interpol. And, and let's be honest, Keir does like a bit of global elite action, doesn't he? He loves a bit of Davos. There was that, that question he was asked on the news agents where they were sort of asking him a series of binary questions. And they said to him, Westminster or Davos? And he was like, oh, Davos. Oh, so good. So cool. Skiing and globalism. <laughs> Tell me, what's not to love? I can't do the Keir voice this week because of how my voice is. Um, and so he, the idea is that if he's prime minister, he's going to be able to renegotiate a returns agreement with the EU, part of which means that the UK will have to take a share of irregular migration into Europe. It all gets a bit cloudy, but one of them is talking about, you know, this very visible thing for the UK is people coming across the channel and can we send them back? And then, you know, it's it's another kind of migration, which has been, there's been a lot of it into EU borders. And, you know, the first thing is, a lot with a lot of politics, where you think this idea, does it pass the sniff test? You know, given how the EU have acted do we think that once the EU had an agreement with Britain, I mean, just, just I do feel like there'll be a lifelong desire in the EU to sort of teach Britain at least a little lesson at every chance possible, at every available opportunity. So do I think that once they've made this agreement that there'll be a meeting of the EU leaders and then there'll somebody go, no, but guys, 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 just please, could we please find a bit of time to talk about how we can help the Prime Minister of Britain looked like less of a dick, you know, in front of his people, because, like, we made a deal with him. I think I think it's really important that we, we help Britain. I don't, you know, I just don't buy it. And Remainers will claim that we had a returns agreement with um, Albania, and it's been quite successful, and that's true. Um, but, lo and behold, that's one country. I mean, I think return agreements between just two nation-states is a very different thing than with a supranational uh, body of, of multiple states. And then I think Remainers as well, when I say Remainers, apologies, if you're someone that's reasonable but vote Remain, I guess I guess the, the kind of snarky online Remainers that always want to, you know, they love ironies, don't they? So if the press do a story about, well, here is somebody in Gibraltar 
that voted Brexit, and now he's a bit annoyed at the impact of Brexit. They love that. I mean, they're literally just cracking one out to that. So, sorry I had to go sexual with that, but um, that was the image I had in my head. And the, the, a lot of them have been informing us in that way they do. Well, you know, the funny thing is, when we are in the EU, we had a returns agreement. I think it was called the Dublin Accord. And just look at the numbers on that. It barely achieved jack shit. We're talking low hundreds, you know. And you probably, probably as many people as, you know, if you think about, uh, yeah, ju- just neg- negligible numbers. Like, oh, so they take the piss out of the fact that the Bibby Stockholm barge might have 500 people or the flights to Rwanda might have 500 people. Well, so did the returns agreement uh, that we had before was dealing in roughly no- those numbers. Most people think? So I was on Jeremy Vine, right? And I was thinking, this is, uh, what, what an own goal by Labour, right? I, I, was, I was sort of thinking of the Tories. We've had such a, a torrid couple of years, you know, just sitting there, just waiting for the phone to ping with just some bit of good news. Do you know what I mean? Like every time the phone goes for them, it's like, I reckon they've all got PTSD. Every time they hear their text alert, they're like, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, like a traumatized dog just shivering and shitting itself in the corner. And so like their press phone goes and this goes to news and then they go, oh my God, like they were, I reckon they were weeping, just going, it's something that we can attack Labour for. They're just all hugging and they were like, should we have a bit of cake? And, like, oh, that's, and the PTSD starts again because of the birthday cake. But, but I was on with, so I was thinking, right, okay, you know, just strategically, politically, this gives uh, the Tories a point of attack. And I was on with Aisha Hazarika, who, you know, was very close to the Labour movement at one point, you know, to Gordon Brown and Ed Miliband. And she made the point that um, at some point, Labour will have to take a position on immigration, right? So that's true, right? It won't be Rwanda. It won't be Rwanda. I think, I think Starmer has got enough sort of law and order right wing in him that he could go for that. But I don't think the party will let him. He would, you know, just smash the terrorist cells. What was he saying? Smash the... He was Because this was the, the strategy element, was if he was seen to be cozying up to the EU, the rest of his language had to be super macho. So he was using all these phrases like, we're going to smash the gangs. We're going to... And we're going to make people... People traffickers like terrorists. We're just... I mean, I don't know if I want governments just upgrading activities to different crimes. Like, hey, that is the thin end of the wedge, isn't it? Like, you go, you know, you know, you jumped a red light the other day. That's terrorism. That is, that is terrorism on the roads. I, I just, just call it what it is. Deal with it and prosecute it on the basis uh, that it currently exists in law. But sorry, I've, I've gone off point here. But, but yeah, Labour would have to take a position at, at some point. Now, what you probably don't want to do is drop this a month out from the election, right? So it's probably smart to do it now, I guess. They've got a polling lead, which has been fairly stable at around 16 points for a long time. So they've got money to spend. It's been there long enough that you could go, yeah, we could dash a couple of those points on the rocks. It's better now than, you know, it comes up in a debate just before the general election. So I went from feeling that it was disastrous to maybe it's actually really pragmatic. But the point being, all of which relies on Starmer being able to actually successfully renegotiate this. And what do you give away in in the process, right? Is it, is it more fishing quotas for the EU? I do think it is a bit pie in the sky. And then I was thinking about like what is the what most people think sort of view, right? And I think that if you look at polling both here and around Europe, is that people do want lower net migration, right? Now, is there a policy that can actually achieve that, given the demands and the people moving from uh, from Africa and the Middle East? Is is that possible? If it's not, the policies that would achieve that will probably be fairly right wing. And in the cultural environment that we live in, 
and what is seen to be right wing, even if it's in line with sort of the middle of public opinion, will any politician pursue that line? Right. So if, if not, if that's not possible, if a hardline right wing migration policy isn't possible on the these, the movement of people isn't going to stop. Is there a politician who can level with people and say, look, this is unavoidable, unavoidable. We're going to have higher net migration for quite a while. And this is how we'll absorb those people. This is how we'll make sure that they integrate with the British way of life and that we can grow and you know, prosper as a society as a consequence. Will anyone even dare try and sell that idea? So I looked across the political spectrum, looked at the leaders of the two main parties and the kind of personalities, and I thought, no, I don't, I don't think there's either the person that will have a hard-line policy on migration to make the kind of difference that the public want, and I don't see somebody that's willing to tell the public the hard truths either. So I guess what you'll probably find is that you lurch from one kind of policy which is deeply unsatisfactory like Rwanda to to you know another longer term policy like the one Starmer is suggesting with Europe that could be equally as ineffective so yes people have been asking me about the book yes it is on Kindle uh, yes it is on audiobook and yes it is me reading it on audio audiobook if you've been to a tour show I'm still announcing myself off stage from an embarrassing it's so embarrassing man I might have to look into this because at some of the venues, when you go to announce yourself, the, the, some of the punters can see you just huddled behind a curtain, and then you sort of like, <laughs> you dart your head back a bit like, you know like Dot Cotton in EastEnders when she's got caught spying on a neighbour, and then you go, uh, uh, welcome to Jeff Norcott, and you have to pretend that it's not fucking you that's saying it, but I can't employ people, the problem is if you ask the venue guy to do that, you, you can't, you know, not every venue or sound tech is going to, is going to sound like Rob Brydon. You know, you're not going to have like a solid announcement. So you sort of have to take charge of it yourself. But it is, you, you, ha you have to say your own name in the third person. It's unsatisfactory. But l listen, it works well uh, as an audio book. So if you've bought the, the, the hardback, then remember, if you're on Audible, you have one free credit a month, you could use that to uh, listen to the audio book. And, and there's also, there is, right, here's a challenge. I'm going to do a prize to the first person that can find there's a deliberate cock-up left in the audiobook. So, okay, actually, I'm going to announce a little a little game here on the audiobook. So there was a blooper that we decided to leave in. Basically, I was caught off camera saying something uh, that I shouldn't. It's not, it's not cancelable or anything, but we thought it was quite funny, so we've left it in. So here's a little uh, game uh, if you're a patron. Um, if you can find it, the first person to message me through the Patreon, right, because I'll have timestamp codes, you can message me. If you find out where it is, you've got to tell me the time code where it is in the audiobook, and that'll be two free tickets uh, for spring 2024. Okay, there you go. Another benefit of being a Patreon. Um, the, and you can play along at home, you know, maybe we'll do it like pointless. And for those of you playing along at home, you can just email what most people think UK at gmail.com and I'll send you a, a gold star and a thumbs up, which is the kind of thing you patronise, you know, to the kids in the lower set. You know what I'm getting at. And, and then the 2024 tour is the spring leg is just as big. So a lot of people saying, oh, it's sold out. A lot of the old ones are sold out. You know, it's not like I don't plug it every fucking week. But here's the thing. We have got infinite scrolling. So just keep scrolling. You know, when it gets to like the end of the year that you think, just keep going. And then it'll go, oh, January 2024, February 2024. And I'm going all sorts of places. I'm going Aldershot, Mansfield, Loughborough, Middlesbrough, something else, bruh. Gainsborough, no, not Gainsborough. Uh, we're going to go. We've got new dates com coming out, which I'll be able to announce soon. We've got uh, we've got another London date I'm going to be announcing soon. We, we're going to Chorley. I think that's nearly sold out. We've got another date in Maidenhead, another date 
in Bristol, we're going to Sale, we're going to fucking Wimborne. I mean, at this point, I could just just decide to say every town in the UK, and there's a fairly strong chance that we'll be going there. So do go to Live Nation, type in Jeff Norcott, and then just just keep scrolling, man. Keep scrolling. Okay, so we're going to talk about a subject here, which obviously, given my proximity to it, it's not without sort of risk and, and discomfort. So... I may make one or two jokes as, as this goes because you know, ultimately that's how I dispel tension. But uh, please don't take that as me being flippant about the subject matter. And if you don't think it's funny enough, then also bear in mind I'm talking about something that's very sort of close to the world that I live in. So the recap is, is that for a long time in comedy, there have been rumours about people who may be involved in sexual assaults or, or worse. And there's been times when there's felt like that was going to come to the fore, but it's never quite happened. And yes, I'd heard the rumours about Russell Brand before these broke on Saturday in the form of an article in The Times and then on Saturday night in a dispatches programme. I'd heard not the specifics of the allegations that were made in the documentary, but there were there were other rumours that have been circulating. God, my agent is going to have a fucking heart attack when she knows I'm speaking about this without running it by anyone. Um, so... There have been comedians that have hinted at these things on stage, you know, and in television show, shows, but um, I should say I do not factually know. The closest I've been to it is maybe third-hand accounts of things. So that that's where I sit. So I do not know what this man has done for a fact at all, but I have my, I have my suspicions, right? So I want to talk about the reaction to it because Russell Brand came out and very early he did a video in which he sort of mobilised his followers. And I've got to be honest, I was pretty naive. I did not realise how devout and active some of his followers were. And in some cases, let's be honest, a bit mental. Now, I know, I will, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I will have um, people who listen to this podcast and are really big fans of Russell Brand and have found what he said about COVID and the way he's challenged those narratives have kind of maybe kept you sane. But I can't not say what I think about this, all right? And I was really shocked uh, this was the main thing that shocked me. Not just people defending him before they'd heard what the substance of the allegations were, but journalists. So I, I follow people on social media that are significantly to the right of me or significantly more anti-mainstream than me. And I saw people defending him before we even knew the substance of the allegations. I've got to say, I, I, think, that is, I think that is fucking mental. I have to say, if you, if you're, if you work in the media... And you know that there's stuff about to come out. And before you've even read the article, let alone seen the television programme, you're sort of saying, well, why now? You know, why? You could ask the question, why now, for you completely rejecting the allegations? Why now? Why not wait? I mean, the why now question could go both ways, right? At least least watch the programme, for God's sake. And you do get the feeling that there are some of his followers that will not read the article and will never watch the programme, but will still have a strong view on the subject, uh, nevertheless. Which reminds me a bit of being a teacher. You know, I remember when I used to be a teacher, there was a... I had this one lad that I taught and this one girl where we were reading of Mice and Men and this girl, she just never read of Mice and Men. She's going, yeah, but the thing is, sir, I think... I was like, you haven't read the book, Tony. She's like, yeah, but my view is... And so... Opinions are like arseholes, right? Everyone's got one. Apologies. Apparently there is a community of people that don't have arseholes, so apologies to those people. Now, I watched the show, um, Dispatch's show on Saturday night, and and compared to all the rumours that I'd heard, I thought, you know, there might be more direct allegations, but that doesn't... There were. Look, let's not lose sight of this. There was a direct allegation 
of rape, right? And there was a direct allegation of a sexual assault. If you rape one person, you're still a rapist, right? That doesn't mean, oh, that, you're honestly going to say that there was only one. Jesus Christ. And, and if people think that, that it's somehow, what, well, why are these people coming out now? Do you know how, like, defamation laws in this country work? For a television show to go to air with that level of detail, basically they think, they think that they could make this stand up in court. That's basically what they're saying by going on television. So it's kind of like a challenge. It's like you can challenge us for this, but then we'll basically have to have the trial. And we feel that we can back this stuff up, you know. And in one case, there was a, a text exchange. There was evidence that the woman who'd been raped by him went to a rape clinic the following day. You know, there, there, there's a, in these two cases, there were um, <clears throat> some fairly solid evidence. There was also, um, you know, there's also talk about him being a general Lothario in the industry. And I would say this about the programme is I don't know, like 90 minutes, it felt like they had they were, they were filling at times. I felt like the allegations were serious, serious enough as they were. And the more time, I think they had to mention his reputation in the industry, but the more time they spent there, it did seem to work against the purpose of the show just a little bit. And, and look, even those things, you know, I mean, a lot of people will be surprised to hear that on a show, people working on the show were essentially, and, and these, these were the words of the people who worked on the show, pimping for the act. Look and, and look, it happens in entertainment. It is a, it could be a murky business. And and some of the people defended him. There was I saw in one particular there was a woman that came out on Twitter and said, "Well, look, I had sex with Russell Brand, you know, in the early noughties, and I had a great time. And that, you know, he's not a sexual offender." And I thought, "Fucking hell, do you, rapists do not rape like all the time. There will be a lot of time where they're having." You know, normal consensual sex, that, but it doesn't matter because the, I mean, fuck. But I guess when you're, you know, somebody like him that had, had sex with so many people, the amount of times he transgressed may have been minuscule in the grand scheme of things, but those moments weren't minuscule to the people it happened to, right? If it was, I don't know, you know, is, what if the, the total for just speculation was just two, right? Just, but you're going to say just to those two people? Yeah, it's not, it's not just to them. And I think... You know, I like the existence of people like Russell Brand and the way they look at mainstream media narratives. It's not where I'm at, but I do think that there's not, you know, Joe Rogan to an extent. I, I'm sort of interested that those people exist and I totally understand um, why post-COVID people would question that stuff. But to then think, so, you know, to be suspicious of mainstream news networks, I think is a legitimate thing. But to then think that the news according to one bloke, to not consider that that might also be a teensy bit biased... Come on, man. What most people think. And it's weird, really, because a lot of those people were, you know, what the cover-up element or the way that the industry turned a blind eye to Russell Brand's behaviours sort of squares with a lot of what a lot of people on that wing would have been saying for quite a long time, you know, that the that, that entertainment industry is, parts of it are sort of deeply hypocritical, really. On the one hand, they will talk, you know, about social equality and feminism and, and treating people well. But on the other hand, they will, you know, for the sake of ratings and money, they will turn a blind eye to some fairly nefarious stuff. So that is what, that's really weird because the conspiracy theory types or, you know, if you go even further into the QAnon world, that's exactly what they think is happening. And here's an example of where, obviously not to the QAnon level, but something along those lines has been happening. They would normally lap it up, but they rejected it out of hand. And I do wonder if, to an extent, whether COVID and the reaction to COVID created this, because at a time when, you know, there were state media outlets and, and mainstream news organisations were dealing in facts in inverted commas that a lot of people didn't feel were right, and there was a level of collusion and coercion and nudge units and, 
and the way that the state were acting in terms of trying to affect behaviours, which they may have felt for noble reasons, I think people were freaked out by that, really freaked out by it. And I guess if, you know, at that time, if somebody like Russell Brand felt like somebody who was the one truth teller, I can totally understand why if you walked, if you felt like you walked a lot of miles in your darkest moments with that person, that you might feel like you have to protect them. But just watch the show. That's all I'm saying, right? Watch the show, read the article. And also just bear in mind is like, if you're saying there wasn't enough in the documentary, I mean, do you definitely think this is the end of this? You know, after the first few Jimmy Savile accusations, do you, did you think it was the end of that? You know, and is this where we're at with the cult of the individual that it becomes so big, bigger than ideology in a way, you know, where people just have one person, they put all their eggs in that basket and they'll defend them no matter what. <clears throat> and look, I would say this is like, you know, the question of why now and why are the mainstream media going for him so hard? I think it's both possible, right? That given the challenges he's presented to them in terms of the information and the news or inverted commas news that he deals in, that the mainstream media are more motivated and, and keener to focus on this story. But yet again, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. You know, quite clearly, if this was fucking Dick and Dom in the bungalow, right? No one, would anybody give as much of a shit? Probably not. But but that still doesn't change the fact that if these allegations are true, then they're victims of serious crimes that, you know, would have changed their lives forever. And it made me wonder about comedy itself, whether comedy has specific problems, right? in terms of the way that you can treat women. I was just trying to be like as open-minded stuff as I could. And I thought, well, in comedy, I've seen it, that there are there, there is a certain kind of bloke that maybe never had a lot of sort of sexual contact with women when they were younger. And, and comedy can be like a sort of superpower over women because it, it, everyone says, you know, it's not really exactly true, but laugh a woman into bed. If you look at women's dating profiles for a long time, sense of humour ranks very, very highly, right? Very highly. If men, if men are more aesthetic and visual, you know, being able to make a woman laugh is can be quite a powerful thing. So if you then scale that up, right, go, what if you can make a woman laugh and you do it in front of several hundred people, right, several thousand people, an audience, a global audience of millions, what starts happening to that power? And we all know, and governments prove this day in, day out, when there is extreme concentrations of power, there will be people that abuse that, right? A minority, but it still happens. And it can literally, I mean, there are, that's what you've got to ask yourself. Is it possible? That's what I'm trying to wonder. Is it possible that comedy has a specific problem with this? Because comedy is it, is it bound up in the notions of what can make men sexually attractive to women. You know, there's obviously handsomeness, height, power, but humour, you know, it doesn't rank as highly for men um, with women. So I think it's just about asking questions. If you are like a Russell Brand kind of acolyte, that's, that's fine. You know, I try, you know, whoever I speak to on this podcast, I don't try to judge too much. I just think, I think at the very least, man, you've got to read that article, that first times article, and you've got to watch, you know, watch that documentary with an open mind and then ask yourself, is, you know, is this the end of it? And if you still think that, then listen, at least you've been exposed to the source materials. I have, you know, I have my own hunches. You can probably guess. I thought, you know, much like Simon Evans did an excellent article in The Telegraph and he felt that the accounts sounded credible and that was probably where I was. I did, there's something about the kind of specificity of the details and it's just, look, if I was a person on the jury, that's the only way you can react is do these accounts sound credible, right? And it is it is tricky because until something is proved in a court of law, you know, someone isn't legally guilty of something, but as a lot of people have made the point, Jimmy Savile was, you know, was not tried in his lifetime. 
And but sometimes there's a wealth of information that you, you end up having to come to a decision about the sort of balance of likelihood. So listen, man, it's a tricky subject. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that this was a bit on the dry side and a bit on the serious side. But but I've been I, I've been been shocked by the reaction of, of some people. And I think that, like I say, if you're on that side of things, just at least expose yourself to what's being alleged and come to your own conclusion. Okay, let's try and lighten things up a bit now. We've got a letter here from a new patriot. Uh, so this is from Emma, Emma J. Uh, Jeff, I haven't discovered your podcast recently. I've now become a patron. I've been catching up on the majority of your 200 plus episodes. So it's you that was listening to episode four. Every once in a while, like an episode from a few years ago, gets a little bump and you think, who the fuck? It must just seem like a, like a time capsule from another world. My voice probably sounds different. Probably, probably have a, a bit more energy and a bit more hope for the future. My dilemma is that I have grabbed on resale a pair of tickets to your sold-out Brighton gig. However, on that day, I'll be on my own. While I strongly admire your ability to invite discussion across the political divide, I'm new to the city and have yet to introduce your comedy to any of my stalwart liberal left-leaning friends. Do I ruin my night by coaching along a surly and judgmental individual as my wingwoman? Uh, Is going to a comedy gig solo, especially as a female, a thing these days? Or rather, is there a listener out there who has missed out and wants to claim the last ticket? Well... Um, so there's a lot of questions to first thing yeah go to you know no problem going to it on your own obviously you don't want to be out of pocket but that is a thing these days and you know as a comic I mean I do profile by gender a bit so if there's a bloke on his own I'll call him tragic sad bastard if there's a lady on her own I'll just be really polite and I'll notice that she's her eyes are saying please don't fucking talk to me and I won't talk to her so it's what is probably a sexism that I have against men but that's just how I tend to operate by playing the percentages um I would say with your stalwart liberal left-leaning friends, they would be surprised. I don't know if I'm quite as toxic as I once was because when I first came out, what, a comedian? I voted conservative, voted Brexit. What, he's selfish, racist, fucking heartless, stupid, uh, all that stuff. You know, we now have more media commentators in this space. So where I started off as an extreme proposition, I'd say my position now is kind of like right-wing centrist dad. Um, so I don't think that that is necessarily going to be a problem. You'll certainly have some uh, lively discussions afterwards. Um, and is there a listener out there who has missed out and wants to claim the last ticket? Well, I don't know. I mean, in this week of all weeks, I don't know if I should be party to sort of setting you up on a blind date um, with some bloke at a comedy gig. You know, then I'll be I'll be called like a pimp or a fixer. Um, I don't want to be that person. Maybe if there's a, a female patron, you can make... Maybe this is how we could do it. Maybe there's a, a right of centre or or someone, you know, who has similar sort of what most people think values. You could, you could have a little girl power in there. So instead of just, you know, meeting up and talking about the usual things that women talk about, you know, obviously shopping, boys and... Um, Kim Kardashian. I'm just now going to go through the most cliched list. What do women mean? What do they talk about? They talk about sewing. I mean, now we're going back to the 1950s, Jeff. This isn't even sexism that makes sense to most people. Yeah, sharing recipes and that. Um, you might you might be able to talk about, you know, you might be able to talk about like a James O'Brien clip that annoyed both of you. So I think that that is the safest way forward. Absolutely go on your own. You'll be fine. Uh, if you do want, if there is a patron or a lady that wants to meet up with Emma and go to the show together, um, contact me first through uh, the Patreon site um, and what most people think, UK at gmail.com. But obviously I'll give first refusal to any patrons getting in touch. And uh, yeah, thank you for getting in touch, Emma J. Now, just to close the show, when people leave five-star reviews on iTunes, I read them out. Um, so let's see if we've got any recently. I think we've got quite a few. So I'll try to do them in accents, but my voice is a bit fucked this week. So 
Um, let's see what comes out. Um, this is from Brian Hastings. Brian Hastings. That does sound like a bit of a nerdy. Brian Hastings, if you want the most hilarious and common sense take on what's going on in the world, then this is the podcast for you. There you go. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, this is from Gaulty, Gaulty64. Gaulty, I'd sit in my car gathering myself before going into work as the Mark Steele episode did me. Oh, you're such a cockney. Are oh, you Gaulty? Get in touch. Really good pod, common sense, speaks for most people. Uh, this is from Boykes. Uh, if if you want to hear a podcast review in the voice of Jeffrey Boycott, this is the place to come. Always funny and cutting through the noise to get to heart of issue. Thank you very much. Uh, this is from Patis JPV Patisse. Patisse, are you French? Um, Jeff is a really good interviewer, and usually, <laughs> I love your usual word. <laughs> use the word usually there, and usually has interesting guests. I enjoy his takes on the comedy industry. Well. This week's one was a bit of a heavy one. I always skipped the straw man party political broadcast for the Tories at the start. And listen, what is it? You know, I can understand that maybe you think I'm a shill for the Tories, but I equally get loads of people now who think that I've basically become a sleeper cell for Labour. So you can't really win. Uh, this is from Norbert Schmitz. Norbert Schmidt says, I told all my friends to listen, not sure if they have. I'm binge listening, going from latest to earliest episodes. Consistently funny. Also ordered the book. Hardback. Thank you. And this is from Penners. Uh, no, I think we read that one out before. So thank you so much. Those five-star reviews, they keep the podcast high in the rankings. And also, the thing with attracting really cool guests is they what they'll do is you say, can you be on my podcast? And then they'll go online, they'll look, and they'll see how many reviews it got. And that gives them an idea of how many people listen. So um, listen, keep them coming. Uh, obviously, thank you for listening to this week. If it was your first time listening to a solo one, we will be back with guests next week. And obviously, if you've got any feedback or if something I've said has bugged you or annoyed you, you think you want to fact check me, uh, what most people think, uk at gmail.com. Have a good week.